Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Zafonzo Davies, treble winner, and you're listening to Ranks FC. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC, your favourite football podcast. My name is Jack Collins, and I will be your host today. And joining me, as ever, it's the Rank God, Mr. Sam Ty. Hola. Hola, Sam. And, of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Bonjour. Bonjour. We are international this week. It's very, very exciting. And we've got a big episode coming up, which includes uh, a very special guest, a good friend of ours, Mr. Ali Maxwell, talking about some championship players who are ready to make that step up to the top flight, whether that be the Premier League or beyond. And I'm really excited to have Ali on. Is that we've had we've been talking about this one for a while, Sam. It doesn't. It, it feels like it's been a long time coming. We got Ali finally. We got him in the bag. It's been about twelve months of chasing him. Yeah, we're, um, we're we're delighted about it. But before we do that, let's talk about some things we love. And Dean, let's start with you this week. Yeah, so the thing I love is that Wayne Rooney should be making his first steps into management this weekend. So he's, he's stepping in at Derby after Philip Koku was axed. Um, didn't do a particularly good job on the result front, poor Koku. Um, tough job, anyway, though, Tough job. Yeah, very tough job. Anyway, officially... Rooney is now interim boss and it looks like he's going to be in charge at the weekend. So Derby are being taken over. They've got new owners coming in. Um, If they want to create headlines all over the world, Rooney's your man. I mean, it's a bit of a gamble. I mean, one of the smartest footballers of his generation. Is he going to be a mastermind when it comes to management? We might find out very soon. Look, here's what I've heard about Rooney. He has genuine ambitions in football management. He, as soon as he hangs up his boots, wants to go out there and become one of the best managers in the game. Now, this is probably his last season as a player. So the stars can now start to align. And if Derby are brave enough, this might be the platform for Wayne Rooney to kick off his management career. And he doesn't just want to be a football manager. He wants to be one of the best. He wants to be Man United manager, eventually. He wants to become Man United manager. I'm not saying he's going to be take over from Solskjaer next week, but <laughs> look, Rooney's, what, 35, I think? So by the time he's 40, it wouldn't surprise me if he's knocking on the door. He was breaking through as a footballer at 15, 16. Let's see how young he can make an impression as a football manager. His football brain is unreal. It can relate to the modern players. He's, he's been around dressing rooms for like, what, 20, 30, basically 30 years. Let's say since he was five years old, he's been in dressing rooms because he probably has. Um, <laughs> he's got that nasty streak in him, which you need. Okay, people will say, yeah, but he's gonna erupt at some point and he won't be good at taking that pressure. We'll see. Maybe that's what will make him great. I think it will be really, really good to see Wayne Rooney as a manager. Let's see what it's like. What's Rooney like at developing a game plan? What's he like tactically? I'm really interested to see if he does get the chance at Derby to see what Wayne Rooney can do as a manager. 
I'm most excited about the fact that we're going to have a player manager in the top two yeah, flights of English football. Manager, when yeah. was the last time was a player manager in English football? Like, I remember, the, I think the last Premier League one might have been Rude Hullet in 1999. I'm sure maybe, yeah. you know, someone like a Dennis Wise or someone like that, although I think that was lower down. Look at Viali the... did it, didn't he? Viali was a uh, player manager. That might have been even earlier. It used to be Actually, quite a like common thing, the player manager. Vincent Company went to Anderlecht. He became player manager over there. But obviously over this side of the pond, it's become much, much more... Oh, it's much rarer, isn't it? And yeah. I think the famous picture is the Brian Robson one, isn't it? With the suit on the top half, holding the scarf, and then the shorts and socks yeah, from the right. kit in the bottom half. And uh, so, I mean, look, I'm just excited to see if, if one, Wayne Rooney recreates that photo. And <laughs> two, if he subs himself on. That's the exciting bit. Can he sub himself on? Oh, um, be great. Now, now we're talking. That's exciting. Now, Sam, how do you follow that? Well... I can't really follow that, but just, I, this, this, I mean, the, the idea of standing on the touchline for 80 minutes as manager and going, all right, you're, you lot are a load of idiots. Come on, come on. I'm going to, I'm going to sub myself on. I'm going to sort this out myself. It's the epitome of rolling your sleeves up. And it was big in the nineties, not so much now, but we might see it with Rooney. Uh, he's also had a famous temper during his career. Let's not forget that. So he might just lose his temper and just sub himself on and do the business himself. But as you guys know, like, I don't really like international breaks. I used to take this opportunity to watch England's youth teams, but the footage for under 17, 18, 19s is becoming harder and harder to watch. And the under 21s are managed by A.D. Boothroyd, who was doing an absolutely spectacularly poor job of harnessing such a, a young and impressive creative set. Um, I'm not saying he should be punished, but like, of it, well, we, we should take his Tesco club card away from him or something. Like he doesn't deserve discounts, let's put it that way. Fortunately, what I've been able to do in the meantime is get stuck into Football Manager because they released their latest instalment last week in the beta phase and it will be out in full next week. And that is keeping me even warmer and even toastier than this delightful roll neck that I'm wearing. So guys, it's really good. And I'm basically just going to take a few moments to talk to you about my PSV Eindhoven save right, come on, on Football Manager 21 because we are seven points clear at the top of the Eredivisie with two games in hand on Ajax. We've just beaten Napoli in the round of 16 Europa League and we've got Marseille in the quarters. Eren Zahavi, Daniel Marlon and Cody Gakpo have all scored at least 15 goals. We can't beat Ajax to save our lives. We lost 3-0 at their place. We drew 3 all at our place, but we've won 21 of 24 games. We are uber consistent and we're, our Ajax are better than us on the day. We outlast them in consistency terms, but... I guess I should probably make this of some worth to everyone listening rather than just me talking about my own save. Thank you. FM21 is good, guys. It's a very good installment of the game. It's every three years, this game takes a big step forward. Um, they introduced a lot of new features to make it notably different and more modern. This year, they've introduced XG. They've introduced shot maps. They've developed the way you can interact with your players. You can pat them on the shoulder. You can handshake them or you can give them a, a warm embrace. Like you can Jurgen Klopp it. If a player scores a hat trick, you can sort of get them in a bear hug. If they don't like you, they actually push you away and they your, your relationship with them deteriorates. And that's what's been happening with me and all of my nice Argentinian playmakers. And I don't understand why, but they, they don't want to be hugged by me and I, I, I presume it's <laughs> I, pre, I presume it's, a, it's an error in the beta and it will surely be fixed surely this Probably will be fixed yeah. Tiago Almada doesn't like my hugs offer and them red wine and steak mate they much prefer that it's demoralized <laughs> because I keep bear hugging him after great performances but no it's um it's an excellent installment and look if you're still in a partial or full lockdown over the course of the next couple of months or couple of weeks or if it's just cold and you don't want to go outside this is 
a very, very good game. Always has been. And this is another great installment. Uh, it leads me quite nicely on, Sam. I want to know how much you've been playing Richie Ledesma. He got um, a really bad knee injury on the second day of my save and he hasn't played a single minute. It, I've already had a question on Twitter asking where Ledesma is. And I'm, I'm sorry, he's, he's got a cartilage problem. Um, talking to football manager, actually, Wayne Rooney's a manager in real life. This feels like deep into the football manager save, right? Yeah, we've got, a, yeah, we've got one of those moments coming on. <laughs> yeah. uh, the reason I ask about Ledesma is because my favourite thing or right now is basically the USMNT. Um, I watched them absolutely hammer Panama 6-2 last night. And while it was an experimental Panama side, and maybe not the reason to be to be getting too excited, this was a whole load of fun. Over the two games against Wales and Panama, obviously they drew the game against Wales 0-0. Nine debuts. Um, Gio Reyna, obviously of Dortmund. Nico Giacchini of of Khan, Sebastian Soto, Telstar on loan from Norwich. He's 20 years old. Ledesma at PSV, as you say, 20 years old. Yunus Musa, who we highlighted from Valencia, 17. And on top of that, you know, Johnny Cardoso, from, who plays for Internacional in Brazil, he's 19. Comrade De La Fuente of Barcelona, 19. Owen Otasawi from Wolves, he's 19. And Chris Richards, our friend from Bayern Ooh. Munich, 20 years old. Of those players, Reina scored last night. Giacchini got two. Uh, Sebastian Soto got two off the bench. Ledesma got two assists off the bench. And Yunus Musa got an assist for the for the Gio Reyna free kick, um, which is all very exciting. And then you add it to Reggie Cannon, who's at Boa Vista, 22. He got an assist. Serginho Dest, Barcelona, 20. Anthony Robinson, Fulham, 23. Tyler Adams, obviously, friend of the pod. Leipzig, 21. Weston McKenney, friend of the pod. Juventus, 22. Ulysses Lanay. Heron Veen, 19, Timothy Weir, Lille, 20 years old. And then Zach Steffen and Ethan Horvath, the goalkeepers, Manchester City and Club Brugge, 25 each, very young for goalkeepers. And then you add Christian Pulisic, who's injured, 22 years old at Chelsea. Sam's favourite, Paxton Pomical, who's 20, kicking around at FC Dallas. And Josh Sargent, who pulled out because of, you know, concerns around coronavirus, 20 years old at Werder Bremen. This is a side to be excited about. It's also very, one of PSV's players, hard. Chris Gloucester. You missed out one of my PSV boys. Sorry, mate. He, uh, he, he didn't come up, okay. um, but, um, <laughs> but fair play. Look, that's even more reason it was to good, be excited. Yeah. But look, it yeah. was just really good. The US were really fun. The crosses from Ledesma for Soto's two goals were absolutely perfect. Gio Reyna was just pulling strings. McKenney, Tyler Adams, everyone was just having a good time. Obviously, the general Tim Ream anchoring things at the back last night was, uh, was, was, was beautiful to see as well. But yeah, I was just delighted for, you know, for a squad that has been toothless at times to have two 20 year olds coming on and scoring twice, you know, uh, you know, Giacchini missed a penalty as well to, to complete his hat trick, but two very penalty box poachery finishes and Sebi Soto came off the bench and scored two lovely headers and, for a side that have struggled to score goals, it was just really nice to see. And I was I was delighted for the US because well, it felt like the first step. Struggling, if you're an international team struggling for confidence and goals, it's always a good idea to play against Panama, to be honest. Especially <laughs> as they, they put a new goalie in. He, he didn't have a very good time of things. No. Um, poor lad. But um, no, it was a lot of fun. I watched it too. Um, actually took a big step after that game and ordered Dylan his first USMNT kit. Who have you got in the back? Haven't. You didn't? Haven't. No. Who's haven't? <laughs> I'm absolutely <laughs> devastated that you haven't got Anthony well, Robinson too, on the back. It, it wasn't an option. It, no. was, it wasn't an option in the store. It was really, it was really disappointing store, actually. Um, couldn't, one, the pricing wasn't, I wasn't particularly happy with. And uh, two, <laughs> yeah, the options on the kits weren't great. But on the back of that, Dylan's got his first kit on the way. And he can start to make that decision. Does he want to be English or American? 
he's going to have the option and he's you know we're, we're looking forward to our favorite fullback coming through and, and really making his way in the game right let's get on to this main ranking because it's a big one we're looking forward to it but it came from a question we got on our patreon from ben latham who said why don't big clubs look to the championship to sign players as a west ham fan he said he's watched sam bowens one of our best players now ben rama villa have built a good squad che adams at southampton you see the argument against as well but do you think that the championship can produce the next crop. So we thought we'd ask a man who knows the championship better than pretty much any other. And after the break, we're going to be joined by Ali Maxwell to talk about the players that could be the next to make that step up. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where I'm delighted to welcome Mr. Ali Maxwell of the Not The Top 20 podcast of the Athletic Zonal Marking of the Totally Football League show Extra Time, formerly known as Going Up, Going Down, of Sky Sports, of Quest, of Five Yards. Ali, you literally have more titles than Daenerys Targaryen these days, my old friend, but it's a delight (laughs) to officially welcome you to Ranks FC. Thank you. I feel like I should be more busy than I am, but there's still plenty of hours in the day to play FIFA and football manager. So I reckon I could still squeeze a few more jobs in. That's part of your that's part of your job, though, now, Ali. You know, you have to be on the ball with these things. And, and uh, look, just like Sam, he's made a career out of looking at players on Football Manager and writing them. So, you know, Mate, do you are. know what? My, my first job after university was as a researcher on the Football League Highlights show. And I persuaded my boss that I could expense Football Manager that year because it was really important to learn all about the players. And that was basically my job at that stage. So there you go. You yeah. can swing it. Absolutely. It's one of those things that, that really, really works. And I mean, there's always always been that rumor, isn't there, about, about Jose Mourinho finding players on, on Football Manager and, and scouting using it. So it's never going to go away. Um, but you've come on today as our, you know, our championship expert, if you will. And you know, the championship is a is a league very close to my heart and Dean's heart hmm. and Sam's heart less to a lesser extent. But, um, but it's very I much something it. we love. But we're going to be talking today about the players that have made that step up from the top leagues, from the championship pool, teeming with talent as ever. And I, I know you've got a ranking of players ready to make that, that jump. But before we go into the next generation, I thought we'd start with some players of the here and now, the ones who are currently mm. showing how graceful that step up can be. And I think it would be almost sacrilegious if we didn't start with a name on everybody's lips right now, Mr. Jack Grealish, <laughs> Super Jack, the Aston Amancio, as I'm naming him now, um, who, let's be honest, has divided opinion for years. But just as we have, I know that on Not The Top 20, this is a drum that you and George have been banging since day one. Yeah, absolutely. When he played in the championship, which he did for three seasons, which felt like at least two seasons too long. And there was an injury in there, which probably slowed him down a little bit. And and that's the case uh, for a few of the players that we might talk about later on in the pod as well. But it didn't quite tally. Like when you watch a lot of championship football, which I love to do, you, you are reminded constantly that it's the second tier. You know, I bang on about these players because I love watching them. I love covering them. But generally, they are second tier players. And some of them can and will make the step up to the Premier League, either through being promoted or through being signed. Some of them will succeed and some of them won't. But generally, football's tier system works fairly well uh, when it comes to, to sort of judging players and, and ranking players, I suppose. But there are those who slip through the cracks. And, and Grealish just always seemed like one of those. It It, it wasn't just that he has this slightly different looking way of playing the game. And of course, there's so much fun attached to it. A lot of people say that he's like a playground player, but it wasn't just that. Like the, the output was, was excellent. Maybe not always in terms of goals and assists, but if you watched him play football in the second tier, there was no doubt that he should not be playing football in the second tier. And that, not just that, 
but that his game could and probably should translate right to the very top level. And that's what gets us really excited. There are a couple of other players that fit that bill. Eze being one of them, who's obviously stepped up uh, to the Premier League this season with Crystal Palace. Not expecting him to tear it up straight away, but I wouldn't be surprised if in a year or two we're talking about him in, in really, really high regard. So I'm just pleased to see Grealish get opportunities and take them because when you've been banging the drum for a while, it's uh, it's good to be proven right, I suppose, to some extent. Yeah, Ali, sure. with Grealish, um, I'm speaking as someone here who's if he's if Grealish has played twenty thousand senior minutes of football, I reckon I've seen nineteen thousand of them. <laughs> and even this year, speaking as that person, the speed that he's showing with dri- mm. dribbling and on and off the ball, and that game against Arsenal where he outpaced Hector Bellerin with the ball when Bellerin was chasing him without the ball. We watched him in the championship. We watched him play central midfield. He was an absolute maestro. He dictated the game. He created. He was amazing. You couldn't get the ball off him. What he's showing this season just feels very different. Again, like another step up. This speed was not... Correct me if I'm wrong. He was not this quick in the championship. Something's happened. Yeah, that's true. And that's definitely worth pointing out. I'm not saying for a moment that he was playing like this three years ago for Villa in the championship, although there were flashes of it. But that's almost part of, of why I'm so pleased because... There's been this issue that certain people have had with Grealish, which I'm not sure is anything to do with footballing ability. It's something to do with his personality, something to do with his character. I'm not the sort of person that gets wound up or particularly falls in love with players based on how I perceive them to be as people. So that's not something that I was ever particularly bothered about or interested in, something to do with his hair, especially really seemed to wind people up. And look, that, that is football. And, it, and, it, and you know, when you support a rival club, I, I, I know the feelings that come with that towards opposition players. But a lot of people have always pointed out the things that he can't do rather than focusing on the things that he can do. And funny enough, he's almost ticked every box. He's kind of crossed off everything from the list year by year by year. And as you say, this year, uh, he, he does look a little bit quicker somehow. And he looks even more confident and razor sharp in the final third and that used to be a knock didn't it he doesn't get enough goals he doesn't get enough assists well you can't say that anymore and there might have been you know there are always criticisms or or things that players could do better maybe at times in the championship it felt like he wasn't doing enough I remember even thinking about that with Hazard sometimes with Chelsea in the Premier League where you're like if you're that good at dribbling and carrying the ball and if you're that hard to tackle that you constantly are the most fouled player in your division by like 20% on top of the next most fouled player and keep running with it, run even further into the box, see how far you can go and then maybe get a shot off. And look, these players are much smarter than I am. And they know that football's more of a team game. And actually there can be a lot more value in, in drawing a man and then release releasing the ball to a a teammate in space. So look, Grealish is, is just continuing to add things on top of his game. And if he doesn't get any better from here, then I still think he's easily a, a, a top six, top four Premier League player and an England international. And, And that's an amazing journey to have watched over the last few years. A slightly more divisive character. He's taken back to the top flight like a duck to water. Seven goals, two assists, eight games. Now Bamford Island has been a lonely place for a long time, I know. And Patrick Bamford finally proving some doubters wrong, which is good to see. Yeah, it is. It is. It's so weird, isn't it? It is so weird. Like I would never sense. come I would never come on to this podcast and pretend that I saw this coming. I would never pretend that this was the plan all along. The reason it's weird is. In terms of expected goals, in terms of pure finishing performance, last year in the championship, it was like a a historic underperformance. It was someone missing chances to a greater extent than I can remember in, in the last four or five years anyway. And the fact that he was playing for the best team in the league, the fact that 
there are a lot of Leeds fans and they tend to dominate conversation surrounding the championship or they did when they were there. Um, it, it just heightened everything and, and it just went to such an extreme, didn't it? And the other part of it was he had a manager in Marcelo Bielsa who just thinks so differently about football to most football fans and most football observers and pundits that again, you had that extra wrinkle where Bielsa didn't seem to care that much because he loved Bamford. He loved what he could do. And he's the sort of guy that doesn't just chop and change strikers because they've missed the odd chance. So look, some of his finishing has been absolutely incredible. And even the goals he did score last season and the many goals that he has scored at championship level over the last five or six years, he's always had that in him. He, he seems to be one of those players who finishes quite well instinctively. He can finish really well from like the edge of the box. He can find the corners from that sort of range. But maybe there's, there's something psychological or, or technical where often it was the ones he had a bit more time to think about Often it was the ones that seemed easier where, where they, they didn't work quite so well for him. So a bit like Watkins, like you couldn't have asked for a better start in terms of goal return. I don't think for a minute that he will necessarily maintain that rate. But again, it's just a, it's another one in the eye for, for, for people who, who might make snap judgments based on a player in the championship and say they cannot play at the top level because they've done this or they haven't done this at second tier level. It's not how football works. And thankfully in, in Bamford and Watkins, we've got a few proving any doubt is wrong. Yeah. Should we get onto this list then, Ali? And you're going to walk us sure. through some some talents uh, that, you know, are ready, I would say, or, or nearly ready for that for that step up. And Dean's going to, you know, talk to a little bit about any interest that might be kicking around at the moment and we can see what we can we can pull together. So over to you, floor's yours pretty much, mate. Yeah, nice one. I don't necessarily mean this in any, like, one to five specific order. But I will start with Josh De Silva of Brentford at number one because, well... He's in the right place for a start. Brentford are a side who not only are excellent at developing talent, magnificent in the transfer market, as we know, but also because of the size of the club and the way that they want to work in terms of growing the club and moving forward and becoming a Premier League club eventually, they are happy to sell players and they are happy to sell players to Premier League clubs. So that's a good start when you're thinking about who might move to the Premier League because there are certain clubs in the Championship who are less keen to do that, who maybe cling on to players too long or who are just a bit reticent to sell them on uh, obviously everyone has a price but I would say that that we've seen with Watkins and Ben Rama and Mepham and, and plenty before them that, that Brentford at the right time for the right price will sell a player to the Premier League and De Silva is fitting a very classic Brentford career arc so far he was picked up he was obviously at Arsenal as a kid really highly rated there and I think for Arsenal it was a surprise and a disappointment that he left but like so many players around his age, so many of his peers, he jumped on the I need to play football bandwagon rather than stick around at an elite academy until I'm 23 and then find myself a bit behind. So Brentford was a good place for him to be, but he did not go straight into the Brentford side. And this is quite this is quite a classic uh, Brentford arc. They, they plan very well uh, sort of six, 12 months in advance for players and for their squad. Um, and De Silva took some time to bed in, played for the B team a fair bit then slowly get developed into the first team. Uh, and after about 18 months, they tend to become a star. And that's that's where we're at now with Justin <laughs> Silva. Ivan Tony's getting all the headlines because of the, you know, the, he, they needed a, a replacement for Watkins. They've got him. He's already scored 10 goals this season. Magnificent start to his Brentford career. But De Silva's probably their best player for me and the player with the highest ceiling. Um, he's a, a central midfield player. It's quite difficult to pigeonhole him uh, exactly in terms of what sort of central midfield player, because I think there's probably a place for him in all different midfield combinations and shapes, if you know what I mean. Like for the England under-21s, where he's just made his debut in the last few games, uh, he played pretty deep 
the under-21s have constantly got a problem with who plays number six at the base of midfield. Looks like they want to go for De Silva. It's not where he plays for Brentford, but I'm sure that um, for a side that, that that is so stacked with quality, I'm sure he'll be fine there. But at, at the moment for Bees, he's an advanced number eight. And he's just got a bit of everything. The thing that stands out most at championship level for him is a ball-carrying ability that is, is reminiscent, if not as impressive, as the likes of Grealish and Eze. For those two players, their ball-carrying ability, what they could do in, in progressing the ball, in dribbling, essentially, in basic terms, was so impressive and so clearly had them higher than the level. And De Silva seems to have that from a central position, where it's arguably even more effective, even more valuable, being able to drive forward from midfield. But also in terms of progressive passing, his numbers this season are absolutely excellent. And when those two are mixed together, that's where he really stands out at championship level. You might have guys who can run with the ball. You might have guys that can pass the ball well. Very rarely do you get that mixture of the two. So there's so much to like about him. He's he's tall, he's athletic. And what I love about him in Brentford terms is they often come up against teams who sit deep, low defensive blocks, and they invite them to break them down. And for a long time, that's been an issue for them, actually breaking down low block defensive defenses and De Silva's a bit of a, a cheat code in this regard because when they're being patient with the ball and they're working it when it gets to De Silva's feet on the edge of the box the, the opposition have a huge issue because he's smart enough and good enough to pick passes he's not a Hollywood passer he's not a flashy passer but he's a good passer you, you, you know you can go towards him and he can either beat you off the dribble he can find a teammate but he's also got a, a threat from range and and it's that triple threat I guess if you want that makes him so dangerous when when up against a low block you've seen plenty of goals from him in a Brentford shirt where he's just picked out the top corner from the edge of the box with that left foot and then plenty of goals as well where he's driven forward in transition uh, and either arrive late in the box to finish a cutback uh, or driven 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 and then offloaded at the right time for another player so uh, just a player who's sort of grown so much before our eyes in the last 18 months I think a player that everyone is is very very excited about because he just seems to have that that special quality that you're looking for. I think you you look at him and and you look at last year's team and the, everyone talked about the BMW and you mentioned there that everyone's already talking about Ivan Tony this year with the goals return, but it it was I always thought that he was the kind of link between that prolific front three and and the rest of the team. Like yes, Norgard and, and Jensen can pick a pass and and both you know are, are very capable of doing things and and there was moments of magic in in the front three themselves obviously but the fact that he just you know drove up the pitch over oh, time and time and time again that kind of physical aptitude that but you know combine it with the passing range as you say and and quite tidy footwork as well he's, mm. he's always struck me as someone who you're like oh you've got good footwork for a big man yeah yeah and and i think in in that itself you know you you look at what he brings and and I've always thought, you know, this is a player for a transitional team, right? He is, you know, the lazy, the lazy comparison is perhaps like an Abdullah Decore or or someone like that who's able to, you know, drive from deep into the mm -hmm. middle. And and we've seen how you know important that can be in the Premier League this season. I mean, what you've described is someone who seems fairly system proof because he has mm. so many different traits and attributes. So I wouldn't say from what you've described that there are that many places he can't go. Dean, do you know anything? Has, has he been linked anywhere? We signed a new contract quite recently, so yeah. that's that's interesting. I mean, I think it was a four-year one as well. Yeah, 2024. Uh, yeah, so that's quite interesting. I mean, I spoke to someone who's, you know, got good ties to Brentford about him, and they said there was nothing really. He said, actually, the player that they get more calls about than anyone else isn't even Ivan Tony. It's Marcus Force, who's another striker, a 21-year-old. scored, actually, for Finland against France in midweek, mm. and they said they have more calls about him than they have about any other player. Um, he was linked with West Ham actually a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't join them. Um, but now he's being linked with 
Dortmund, uh, Union Berlin. And actually, they said there's quite a good chance he does end up in Bundesliga and that he's taking the view that the Premier League for him isn't the be-all, end-all. He'd love to be Brentford's first-choice striker, but he's, he's got a lot of competition. And if he's got to go to another country, he's got no worries about doing that. But no, on De Silva... Um, well, they've even got reserves that are good enough for Dortmund. How are this club in the championship? <laughs> well, the problem is they live, uh, in Fulham's shadow. they live in Fulham's shadow, so it's a really difficult place to be a lot of the time and you can't see each other very well. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely stunned that the player they, get mo- they don't get most calls about isn't Brian and Buemo because I think that kid is absolutely sensational. But I think we'll roll on, Ali, because um, we've got a lot to the get Brentford to. Brentfordshire. Yeah. We'll come back to yeah, Brentford, yeah. I'm sure. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We have got one more Brentford player who hasn't been mentioned yet. So now I'm a little <laughs> bit concerned. Um, yeah, Force is a really interesting one because he hasn't actually played that much senior football. Oh. He scored a few, he scored a lot of goals in a very short period with Wimbledon in League One last season uh, before getting injured. And this season, every time he comes off the bench, he scores. So you can see why people are intrigued because goals are a pretty precious commodity. And he looks like an absolute gunman. Like he yeah. he's, looks like he's just got that natural, innate, goal scoring ability so the new Erling Haaland here we go yeah the problem is (laughs) the problem is he probably doesn't have the the size and strength and and just experience of Tony at the moment who's also scoring at a crazy rate Mm. I actually have a theory that Brentford should try and do a reverse Ollie Watkins who they turn from a wide forward into a number nine and see what they can do with force over the next six to 12 months just because he's so young there's there's no real rush for him he's not going to be playing number nine they haven't got someone nailed on to replace Ben Rama yet. They've got Godos, who's played a few minutes. They've got Canos, who's not playing particularly well off the left. And I just think even if Force is a pure goal scorer, the way that Brentford play, they've got so many build-up players, they could almost play him as just a pure goal scoring inside forward off the left. That's what I'd like to see. And I think it would raise his ceiling as well to learn other parts to his game. But we'll see. Um, I'm actually going to talk about a, a guy who... I've always considered to be a striker, but who this season is playing in a wide forward role and and really thriving. And it's Tyrese Campbell, who plays for Stoke City. Uh, We'll get this out of the way first and foremost, because it's what everyone always says. He is the son of former Premier League gunman, Kevin Campbell, who really had an eye for goal. And he appears to have passed that down to his son because Tyrese is 20 years old. He has had to wait fairly patiently for chances at Stoke, given that he's always been really highly rated. And this season, he's broken into the team and he's just he's one of those blokes that's just unavoidable now for, for Michael O'Neill. He just can't ignore him because he's just so involved and he's given them an extra dimension. The thing that I like most about Campbell at the moment, and he's only 20 and he's probably only played, I don't know how many minutes, but maybe like 20, 90s in his career so far. So he's still a really young player and a, a, a player that's got a lot of chance to grow. A bit like Jared Bowen, what stands out for me is his finishing. Like if you watch all of the goals that he's scored, either on loan at Shrewsbury or for Stoke since he returned, there's always just that. Like I'm someone that watches watches a lot of football highlights. I know you guys are as well. But specifically for me, the three tiers between the championship and League Two. And just sometimes you see something where you think that's just a little bit better than the level. That's better than my expectation for a a finish in League Two or a or a save in the championship or whatever it is. And Campbell's just just keeps getting on my radar for this in the same way that Bowen did early on in his career. His finishing just seems to be that little bit more accurate and that little bit more powerful and that little bit harder for the goalkeeper to save that, than, than most strikers. And the fact that he's only 20 makes me pretty excited about that. The, the thing that's intriguing for him this season is, I said I considered him to be a striker. I guess that's where he probably would prefer to play. But he's been playing in this sort of wide forward role 
But I, uh, Jay Sosick, who you guys may know as Blades Analytic, he's a really interesting follow on Twitter and he loves the EFL, which is great. And he pr produces so much good content on this. And I was listening to him talk about Campbell the other day and he sort of made a comparison just purely on role with what Salah's role is uh, at Liverpool, where he might play off the right, but really he's probably the number one goal threat. And, and really most of the team's play is geared towards getting Campbell a good, a good look at goal from the edge of the box on his left he's foot. A cut in. It's a Bamiyang. So maybe he's a Bamiyang. On the other, on the other flank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, he's a lefty, so he's coming in off the right side. Um, and I'm really excited about it. But I, I guess a bit like what I said with Force, I quite like seeing a young player maybe playing in a different position for, for a period because it can't hurt, can it? Like, even if that's not where you end up, learning different skills, learning different experiences on the pitch and different positions and, and how to hurt the opposition can only bode well. So the, the, the good thing about him playing out wide is they, Michael O'Neill and Stoke, they've always had big strikers, big target men strikers. That's how they like to play. It's not great for Campbell. He's probably six six one, so he's not small, but he's not the strongest upper body strength. Um, so they've got like a Stephen Fletcher or maybe a Sam Vokes. And what Campbell's done really well this season is just finding little little crosses from the half space, just bending in, really difficult for the defence to, to deal with. And he set up a few goals in that way. So he's added a bit of creativity, which has got to raise his ceiling. I see him as this really good finisher. Uh, and at age 20, breaking into a Stoke team who are in the top half of the championship, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people watching him. For me, I want to see him, you know, he's not dominating the league right now. He's not Jared Bowen levels from like last season, not yet. So I want to see him develop in this role, maybe next season dominate the championship. And then I'd probably be looking for a, for a Premier League move for him when he's sort of 22, 23 and see how he goes there. Because I think there's a lot, lot to like about him. Dean, sounds like we've got a Mason Greenwood lookalike on our hands here. Um, is there any interest? It's really interesting. I mean, there has been interest and he's actually turned down Rangers and Celtic already. Um, and he's got no intention of going anywhere right now. And I think that that's, that's really good from the club's point of view because they do see him on this development path and, and don't feel that he would be better off anywhere else because they, they have such belief in him and, and he's going to become a real key to this Stoke team. Um, they're in a decent position right now to, to have a push for promotion. So um, I'm not sure they'll quite get there, but they could have a reasonable season, it looks like. So he's, he's in a really good place. So I would say mm. at this stage, no, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. And I'd say for the next two years, he probably will stay exactly where he is. It sounds like a good thing, Ali. Yeah, I think so. I actually did some work with uh, Kevin Campbell about two months ago, and I think he was quite surprised when the only thing I really wanted to talk to him about was his son, Tyrese, <laughs> who at that point probably had like 15, 20 career appearances. But uh, yeah, it, I was struck by the fact that I, I was probably looking for a bit of juicy gossip, to be honest, a bit of like, we expect him to be starting this season, otherwise we'll go elsewhere because we know there's interest. And it wasn't that at all. This is a guy who's had his own career who clearly knows exactly what the football industry is like, a very good person to be helping a young footballer through those, those sort of early decisions and those, those early bits of interest. Uh, he seemed to think that Stoke was a great place for him to be. And uh, I guess under Michael O'Neill, again, I, I mentioned like boring stuff and I'm being a bit flippant there, but like, he's the sort of, like we call him Mr. Intangible on the podcast, Michael O'Neill, because his team often does very well without you necessarily working out or being able to, to work out exactly how by looking at like patterns of play and tactics and stuff. It's less, it's not always that obvious as it is with a Brentford or a Leeds or whoever it might be. So I guess I, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but I reckon Campbell's in a pretty good spot in terms of picking up those intangibles as well. And you know what it takes to be a, a, a true pro. He, he certainly 
uh, yeah, he's demonstrated a lot of quality uh, on and off the pitch so far already. Okay, let's keep it rolling there. Who's in at number three? Okay, number three. Yeah, one player that I'm like just can't not smile about when I talk about, which you know is is that's what you're after, isn't it? And I'm really glad because I have to admit, guys, like it sounds a bit weird, but I. So George Ellick, who I do the podcast with, loves Jack Grealish. Like really has a, a real connection to Grealish, partly because he's been banging the drum for a long time. He likes to be proved right. But also like genuinely, we all have those players who just speak to you in how they play. And for me, like the player that I actually get emotional about thinking about their, them doing well is, is Eze um, from QPR to Palace, obviously in the summer. BT Sport did did a little feature with him oh, a couple of weeks ago so and cute. it was fantastic. Like, yeah, it was nice. you know, to watch his development from alone at Wickham to being one of the best players in the championship, despite playing for not one of the best teams in the championship and just the way that he plays, I love. So you can imagine I was a little bit concerned this summer because, you know, the, the question that was asked to you guys was why don't more Premier League players buy championship players? From my perspective, it felt like you took all of them during the summer. Like this summer, we lost <laughs> Watkins, Eze, ben, Watkins, Eze, Ben Rama, Bowen in January, Rodon to Spurs, Bellingham, obviously, Carlin Grant, Matty Cash. They all left this summer. Now those were... And like, the lads who got promoted. And all the guys who got promoted as well. So you can imagine in the summer, we're a bit like, oof, okay, who are we going to be talking about this year? But someone always pops up. In fact, they always crawl out the woodwork. That's the beauty of the EFL. And it's Michael Olise of Reading. At the moment, there's a bit of a question mark about how you pronounce his name because he plays for the France under-20s. And I'm a French speaker, did a French degree at uni. And in a desperate attempt to cling to some relevance for my degree, I'm like, if there's not an accent on that last E, it's Elise, not Elise. But most mm. people are calling him Elise. So for, we're still trying to work that out. I think you're right, Ali. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. He's the player... <laughs> He's the player that's replacing Eze and Grealish in the sense that he plays a style of football that I just can't get enough of. He's a lot of people call it like street football. And sometimes I think that, you know, I think people understand what, what you mean by that um, essentially just like carefree dribbling style. But I think sometimes that can take away from the intelligence needed to play like this. Um, and the fact that, you know, it's not like he's just come in off the street. Elise has been in some of the top academies. He definitely passed through Chelsea he landed at Reading. He's 18 and they've put him into the side this year. I think partly so they so they didn't lose him because there's a lot of people who are interested in him and they lost Danny Loder, didn't they, to Porto, mm, who was yeah. like England under 17s, England under 18s, but never really got a chance with Reading and they lost him for pittance. So they realise what they've got with Elise. They want to make the most of that asset. But even in the short term, like he's just becoming one of their better players. And he's outshining Ovi Ajaria at the moment, who's another one of my favorite players to watch for that sort of languid dribbling style. Elise is, well, he's probably 5'7", so he's, he's, he's quite small. He's got low center of gravity. Good height. He's got re really good. Yeah, great height. Me too, brother. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> you're not as well, are you? Yeah, he's a brilliant dribbler of the ball. Um, he's already like racking up the dribbles in the way that Eze did. But he's, he's not quite the same player he, like, he likes to play as a number 10, but to drift out wide. Again, there are hallmarks of Eze there who, who often pick the ball up in the left-hand channel or even all the way out on the wing before coming inside, beating a man and creating something from there. Elise is doing that, but often drifting to the right. He has played left. He's played as a 10 and he can play a little deeper as well. He, he, he so far hasn't been impacting the game that much in the final third. He seems a little more comfortable dictating from slightly deeper positions. So we haven't seen like a real goal threat from him yet. But... 
for someone of his age to be playing week in, week out of the championship, to be like drifting past players at the drop of a hat, to be on free kicks and corners already because his technical level from a dead ball situation is higher than anyone else at the club. He even, get this, <laughs> the other day they scored after 10 seconds and the most notable, noticeable thing was that from kickoff, they passed it back to the centre of the back line and Elise received it and played like a big ball downfield, like a chipped ball downfield, which they ended up scoring from. So he's even getting the ball from kickoff to play that first ball forward. Oh, almost standing like a, by the centre-halves. Yeah, yeah, almost like a rugby <laughs> almost like a rugby kickoff to get that territory. NFL, yeah. So, you know, he, he's got that both that ability to carry the ball and that ability to pass the ball. And as you can tell from, from my appearance on this pod so far, those two things are like catnip for me. I can't get enough. So yeah, <laughs> Elise, look, he's so young. He's only 18. I don't really know what comes next for him because I just want to see him play week in, week out for Reading. If he, if he keeps playing like this for a whole season and sometimes, you know, especially with the games and the schedule coming so thick and fast, sometimes guys struggle a little bit to, to maintain the physical levels more than anything. But if he can, like, he's just so clearly a top top level talent and it'd be interesting to see if anyone decides to, to go in for him. He's already he, played a part in every single game, 11 games, nine starts, two, two sub appearances at 18 years of age and Reading. Mm-hmm. I know that there's some, uh, some complaints over this uh, with Lady Regression stepping in, but Reading are still <laughs> top of the league. They I are, mean, yeah, yeah. They've lost start. their last three and they're top of the league, which shows you how well they played their first eight games. Well, did they play well or were they, because I saw a lot of... Uh, I saw Is it Yap of... Stam's Reading all over again? Uh, mm, well, we'll see. Oh, come on. Gonna say... <laughs> There's no yeah, they, they were scoring with like every other shot, which was probably unlikely to continue. But they were defending very, very well. And now they're not defending very well. So I don't know where, you know, when the dust yeah. settles, I think they're probably a mid-table side. Need to get at least back in that defensive line or sort it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dean, I mean, Ali mentioned there that there's there's already been interest. This is one that seems to be picking up everyone's interest from, you know, free here to Dubai, pretty much. Yeah, look, these are the players that, that do go very quickly to, to a pro- the Premier League because they just catch the eye and clubs just love signing players like this because they just get everybody excited and they have the ability to to change matches and change seasons if they do if they do catch fire and there's no doubt about it that he's, he's got the potential to do that. I mean, you could look at a two-minute highlight, highlight reel and, and see like just what he's capable of and there's, his skills are ridiculous. Um I mean, the thing that's as soon as you Google him, this 360 like double drag back he did against Leeds mm. just comes up all over the place, just storms through the middle of the park and two players coming to close him. And he just like acts like they're not there and just does like a pirouette past them. Um, <laughs> it's unbelievable. But yeah, look, so many clubs already looking at him. Um, they've had scouts from Arsenal, Leeds, Wolves, Chelsea, Everton, Dortmund, Leipzig and Napoli and loads more watching him this season. Um it's crazy. Um, he's actually got a brother that's at Chelsea. I think he's a younger brother. Yeah, yeah that's um, right. Yeah, I mean, but... the, the other big battle is is uh, national, national team-wise. Yeah. Um, I think he's got a few appearances for the France under-20s, but I don't think he's with them during this current international break, and I don't know what the scenario is there. He didn't start their last game, so maybe it's just a fitness thing. He's played a lot of football at such a young age, but very much eligible for England. I think there's some Nigerian heritage as well. So like so many of these really exciting young players, there's kind of an exciting battle for, uh, for, for who will end up playing with uh, on a national level. Definitely. He's born in French Guyana. There you Jeez, go. There you that's are. amazing. That's... This is uh, Eunice Musa's four-way battle 
come to life again. <laughs> I think this one might be, you know, just as hot, if not hotter. If... And we'll come on though, Ali. We've got two left to go. We'll, um, we'll run through them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, ben Cabango says centre-back at Swansea, 20 less, years old. It's less sexy, but it's probably more sensible. Yeah, do you know what? It's less sexy, but I suppose it's hard to say because actually a lot of the players that have moved to the Premier League in the last transfer window are attacking players. But there was a time where I felt like Premier League clubs were happier buying centre-backs, young centre-backs with second-tier experience than they were any other position on the pitch. Um, we had a period where Mepham went and Lloyd Kelly and Adam Webster, and it felt like a lot of Premier League clubs just wanted to see 30 games from a from a 21, 22-year-old centre-back, and that was enough in many cases for them to say, yeah, that's the sort of player that we want um, at this at this level. Of course, we saw Sam Rodon move from Swansea to Spurs at the very end of the window. Cabango is playing alongside him. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one because, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's just made his, I think he's just made his debut for Wales. He's certainly got Wales senior caps already. He really became a starter for Swansea halfway through last season. Uh, and it was a period in which they switched to a three at the back formation and became a brilliant defensive team for the level, which they weren't previously. So, they had at the end of last season and there's been injuries to basically all of the individuals here, but essentially there was a period where they had Rodon, Mark Gahey on loan from Chelsea, who's unbelievable by the way, but I wasn't picking Premier League loanees here and Cabango um, who were three guys. I think they were 22, 20 and 20 and they were basically the best defense in the league. So Cabango is really interesting. I think, you know, where Gwehi probably trumps him at the moment for composure on the ball and for recovery speed um Cabango is a nice match for him because he's got I would consider kind of a rare strength and size for someone who's only 20 years old like he's already filled out he's he's an aggressive defender he's the sort of guy that like if you're receiving the ball to feet back to goal as a striker and you hear Cabango's charging up behind you you're going to move the ball on pretty quickly and try and get out the way because he's <laughs> a big guy he's a big guy and he's you know he's a front foot defender so he's happy to go right through the back of you as well um but the, I, I guess it's so funny when you talk about centre-backs, isn't it? So much of it is like, of course, you have to be an excellent defender. What is it at this at championship level that will make a Premier League club buy you? It's probably what you can do on the ball. Like the technical ability and the, you know, the press resistance, the ability to play the ball under pressure, the ability to play forward passes into midfield. That's really the deal breaker for basically any team in the top flight, apart from maybe Burnley, who probably aren't that fast. So... Swansea's a great place to be because they, we know that they got promoted playing this lovely style of football in the Premier League. They moved away from that a little bit and they had a tough few years, but they're very much back in the Swansea way, passing it out from the back, centre-backs taking a ton of touches and really having a lot of responsibility in terms of progressing the ball um, past the first line of defence of the opposition and into the midfield who can turn and play from there. So it's a great place to be. Rodon has already benefited from that, not only because they had the bravery to give him so many minutes as a young player but also the bravery to to give him such on-ball responsibility Cabango's got the same thing like he doesn't look sensational I'm not saying he's like Virgil van Dijk picking balls over the top for fun but he looks more than confident enough he looks like he's got uh, you know he, he doesn't he doesn't mess up put it that way you'd notice if he was constantly giving the ball away and then Swansea were getting into trouble that's not the case so you know improving all the time he's only been in the first team for well for less than a year 
20 years old, big centre-back who's confident on the ball. That's the sort of thing that Premier League clubs are going to be looking at pretty closely. We just watched what England's senior side give the ball away from the back while trying <laughs> to build play constantly. I'd say that that's not a given that uh, any player at any level can consistently move the ball through midfield cleanly and not give it away all the time. Eric Dyer can't claim to be able to do that and he's been in the Premier League for years. So... Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. And you're probably yeah, right, Ali. That's, yeah. probably the, that's probably the common denominator for whether or not a Premier League team is going to be interested in you. Sometimes I feel mm. like, particularly with the bigger clubs, they're more interested in what you can do on the ball, like far more interested in that than the mm. actual defensive skill set you might retain at the other end. So in that sense, Swansea centre-backs are probably going to tick a lot of boxes for a lot of top six, top eight, top ten scouts. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He hasn't played much football in a back four, mostly as part of a back three. So, you know, if I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of, of Premier League scouts and recruitment departments, that would probably be the sort of thing that you'd want to check out and just, just see how he does in that in, in a four rather than a three. Um, but yeah, a really good start for Cabango. Part of such an exciting group of young Welsh players, to be honest. I can't wait to see how the, the Welsh national team go uh, in the next generation because a lot of those guys have come through the, the EFL as well. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see how Cabango gets on. And for Swansea fans, I just hope they can keep him a bit longer than, than Rodon. But a bit like Brentford, they kind of understand how it works. They know that in order to keep developing and keep growing, now that the parachute payments are, are dwindling, they're going to have to sell these guys. And, you know, I, I basically have a bit of an issue. I, I can understand why as fans, it's really tough to sell your players. But as a championship club, like, I think you should almost celebrate a big sale. Like, that is a sign that your team is doing the right thing. That's the sign that your team is probably going to progress and grow and, and reach the next level uh, in, in footballing terms if you look at, at the long term. You know, I think of teams like Sheffield Wednesday and Derby who spend a lot of money and barely ever sell anyone for any significant money. And guess what? After three three years, FFP catches up. You've got to basically try and sell everyone just to just to pass the FFP rules and you don't have any money to buy players. So yeah, I'm that's a bit of a rant, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, it makes sense. And with that, Ali, we'll move on to number one. Yeah, um, this is Rico Henry, uh, who's Brentford's left back. We're back to Brentford again. Nice cyclical uh, nature to this. I appreciate it. The silver that we spoke about properly. And then we kind of touched on force. And then we mentioned Mbermo. And then we mentioned Tony as well. But it's Henry who is the second, the <laughs> who's the second on my list. Uh, he's the left back. And look, part of this is... You asked me who I think could and will step up to the Premier League. A lot of it's down to the quality of the players, but a lot of it is down to what I said before about where they're at, Brentford, where Premier League teams like to buy players from, Brentford. And also the fact that there's not a ton of depth in his position, either in national team terms for England, as we know, stacked at right back, less so at left back, um, and, and potentially not in the in the Premier League either. Like, there's a lot of left backs, so you wouldn't be surprised if next season their club is looking to to upgrade or is looking to move on. And Henry's in, in prime position. Interesting player came from uh, from Walsall actually, so he's another who's like he wasn't part of any elite academy. He's just he's he's had to do it the hard way. He's already played over twelve thousand minutes. He's only twenty three, over a hundred games for Brentford already, and that's including missing a whole year, fourteen months in fact, with a terrible knee injury in in twenty seventeen eighteen. So kind of impressive from that point he's bounced back he's had no knock-on effects no recurring injuries he played 46 games last season out of 46 so physically this guy is in great nick and it's and it's physical qualities as well that stand out he's small he's probably five seven classic um but he's absolutely rapid like he's got to be one of the quickest players in the league and he's properly tenacious as well like he's he's got that appetite for one-on-one defending that you really really need 
But of course, playing for Brentford, he spends a lot of time in the final third, a lot of time hugging the touchline and providing that width and providing the delivery as well. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's got the best delivery of any fullback I've seen in the championship, but it's certainly not a huge weakness either. And he's picked up plenty of assists. He just seems a really smart player. You know, Brentford have got such a set style of play. A lot of it is um, is sort of overloads and build-up play out wide and trying to create... Um, you know, an extra man out there before coming inside and hurting teams. And Henry plays a big part in that build-up play, even if he's not the one that ends up getting the assist. Um, you know, he's he's clearly been playing with Ben Rama for two years, so he's 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 enjoyed the fact that Ben Rama takes up a lot of the defenders' uh, attention, but also he probably had to do more defensive work because Ben Rama's not that keen on that. So yeah, for a player who's comfortable in possession, athletic enough to get up and down, he's been part of a back four that's been one of the best in in terms of defensive record in the championship. So, you know, you, you might be able to exploit his lack of size on occasion, but you're probably not going to beat him one-on-one, certainly not for pace. So there's a lot to like about this guy. And I think, you know, he's just, yeah, he's just in a great spot. He's, you know, a bit like De Silva and a bit like some of these other Brentford players. When I say Brentford are happy selling players to the Premier League, I'm not saying they just do it like that. They've got a pretty good process for it. And it normally involves playing one extra season after they've had good solid interest. So you saw that with Watkins and Ben Rama. Teams knew about them the year before, but they persuaded them to stay, persuaded them that if they had another good season, they would develop further and then they'd get their big move and they'd be in good shape. It feels like Henry and De Silva, who I spoke about uh, at the top of this segment, those are the two players who are kind of in that zone three now. They're stars in the team. They're 23, 22 years old and they'll have earned a move to the Premier League at some point after this season. They might be there with Brentford anyway and might decide to stick around. Dean Smith brought him from Walsall to Brentford. Um, <laughs> seemed that competition for Matt Target wouldn't be the worst shout in the world if he was to to move on to, to reunite once again with Smith at Villa. This definitely feels like Villa's next signing from Brentford, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, it does. It does. They did look at him. Yeah, yeah if you well, search his name on Twitter... Player. If you search his name on Twitter, it was mostly Villa fans, I would say, um, from the transfer window who were like, could we get him in? Obviously, they got Cash, they've got Konza, um, they got Watkins. So I wouldn't be surprised. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not the worst idea in the world. If you can get buy-in and if you, can, if you can reunite him with Dean Smith, you can be very confident that he's going to be in a sound place mentally. He's going to be playing for a manager he likes, enjoying his football, who knows all about him and knows how to get the best out of him. And if he can be linking up with Grealish, if he's still there, um, you know, why couldn't he be a success? I think he's the sort of player who like, you know, obviously Chilwell's doing brilliantly at the moment and he looks to have England's left back slot tied up for the foreseeable future. But we know that things change pretty quickly. And it doesn't take too long for a player, even if they've been in the championship, once they've played like half a season at a good level and they're still young and they're English, generally they, they get chucked into the conversation. So uh, yeah, Henry's a really interesting one. We need more than one left back as well, mate. We do need more than one. <laughs> Matt Target. No. Do you not like not. do you not like Kieran Trippier coming inside, back <laughs> funneling everything back towards the area of the pitch where we already have three defensive midfielders and three centre backs? Do you well, not why, like don't we, that? why don't we just play Brandon Williams there while we're at it, eh? Do exactly <laughs> the same thing. No, we need more than one left back. We need some stock. Rico Henry, England cap within the next two years after a Premier League move. As you said, he's one that you could easily have seen move the summer just gone easily it's been a bit of a nearly I mean Celtic one of the first to look at him when Tierney left um they considered him as as a potential replacement and didn't go ahead with it uh, Villa obviously had a look I've got target but and Newcastle as well when they were looking at Jamal Lewis they considered um, Rico Henry and, and didn't go through with it so 
there's been a lot of consideration from teams and nobody's quite pressed the button to go through with it yet. I mean, you've still got links to Brighton and Burnley and, and teams like that, that that are in there. And I think that that will continue. And you'd imagine that that's the tier of the Premier League that he's most likely to join. I think that's probably fair to yeah. say. Um, Brighton are always a good shout as well. I should have mentioned them when I was talking playing. about good places to land. Yeah. Um, if the, they the stop playing is... Dan Byrne at left back, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the only thing is that... Um, they are also run by a, a professional gambler. Oh, in, yeah. In Benham, and Bloom. Benham and Bloom Matthew hate each Benham other. And Tony Bloom have got a little bit of history uh, from their past. There's a bit of a rivalry there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not a huge obstacle. They obviously signed Mopai from there, but it's something to consider. It's a nice nice little wrinkle to any Brentford and Brighton chat. Well, I've got a couple of names to throw at you uh, just to finish off. Um, and these are mostly based on the fact that obviously a lot of our listeners are going to be supporters of, of top six teams. Um, so... <laughs> Just very quickly, um, how are the following getting on? Uh, Harvey Elliott over at Blackburn. Very well. Very, very well. I mean, it's only been a couple of games, but the fact that he's 17, like he's insanely young. I can't think of many other 17-year-old loanees. It just doesn't really happen, does it? They they get looked after. They get kept where they are. They get mollycoddled in their elite academies. No, Elliott's gone out on loan. They trust Tony Mowbray and Blackburn to be a good place for him. And it looks like... That is exactly the right place for him because so far he's thriving. He's got a he's got a striker in Adam Armstrong to fire through balls to, and Elliot's technical ability and his vision looks amazing. So yeah, it's been a great start. It'd be so great if they paid Fulham the tri- tribunal fee now because uh, <laughs> we're, we're still waiting. What about Ollie Skip at Norwich? Yeah, I haven't seen as much of Skip. Um, Norwich have had a pretty good start. Skip really sort of fits the bill there um, in terms of what they're looking for. That you know they they need some steel, and I think Skip's got the the sort of defensive capabilities. But they also need you know they're very heavily possession based, and they need someone to keep things ticking over. So I think that's what they were hoping for with Skip. I don't think he has like stood out yet, but it's such early days. Like it wouldn't be something that I'm particularly concerned about. Uh, you already mentioned Guahi as well, so I got one more. This one was a bit of a weird transfer, I thought, and I think there's 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 division among the world football fan base as to how as to how good this player is. I must admit, I'm not mm. as keen. But Harry Wilson ended up at Cardiff, yeah, right at the end of the transfer window. I think Liverpool were probably envisioning a 20 million sale back in mm. July, and then you know, come October, that hadn't really panned out at all. Wilson at Cardiff and they're paying all of his wages as well about 60 grand a week how is he proving worth that because that's a hell of an outlay for a second tier team yeah it was a very surprising transfer in pretty much every level the finances the destination the fact that he was going back to the championship um really surprising and probably doesn't actually bode that well for him I don't think Cardiff are a team that play very direct football. They don't spend a lot of the time on the ball. Uh, they look to get the ball forward pretty quickly. Now, it could benefit Wilson in the sense that he's one of those guys who he's kind of he's a really like high usage player, right? He when he gets the ball, he wants to shoot or cross basically. Like he's not. I, I don't want to disparage him too much, but I'm not a huge fan either. Like I don't. Th- I I didn't think even at Derby. Although he played well for that team, like I, I didn't expect him to be ripping it up in the Premier League anytime soon. I'm not sure he's just, I'm not sure he's the sort of player that is part of like a really slick, high performing attacking team. Because I just think, although his, his ball striking, his long range shooting is really, really impressive, I'm just not sure that's always that helpful um, for a team, if you know what I mean. Like 
So, I mean, his dead ball delivery is amazing and Cardiff have a ton of tall blokes at the back who love scoring from set pieces. So I wouldn't be surprised if he scores uh, and assists a, a fair amount of goals, but I'm just finding it hard to believe that this is a move where after it, Premier League clubs, based on this season, are like, yeah, he's ready and I want to spend money on him because Cardiff don't play a style of football that many Premier League clubs are going to look at and think, yeah, that's translatable. And Wilson's just, I, I just, I just, I don't know. I don't he's gonna know. get. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, get he's gonna lost. score some. He's gonna score some worldies, which are gonna get shared a lot online, though. So yeah. you have to balance that out. <laughs> it's, good, yeah. it's good for his Twitter profile, I think. He'll, he'll he will bang some free kicks. But I mean, it? like, does That's it important. does it reflect? Is it does it reflect not that well on him that Bournemouth didn't get him back? Like he was there last season. They're now in the championship with a ton of parachute money, which they could have used to to cover his wages. And they either didn't want him, or Liverpool didn't want to send him back there. I, I just I thought that was interesting. It was all a bit strange. Um, and with that, Ali, it's probably about time we call this a day, but it's um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, thank you so, so much for joining us. And, you know, if you want to just give the old listeners and Little Rack Squad a, a taste of where they can find you online and, and beyond. I uh, host the Not The Top 20 podcast, which is probably most pertinent for your listeners if they want more chat about the championship, about the exciting players in the EFL. It is truly a wonderful subject to podcast about because there is no shortage of stories each week, different teams impressing, different players impressing. Sometimes we lose them to the Premier League, but more fill in. It's like cockroaches, you know, you can't kill them. We're still there. We're still thriving. So yeah, uh, listen to Not The Top 20 pod and uh, you may hear or see me on on various other things as well. Well, Ali, thank you so much. It's been a, a real pleasure having you on. Thanks guys. Really enjoyed it. Cheers. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Welcome back to Ranks FC and thank you so much to Ali Maxwell for that insight and, and general knowledge there about things that are a little bit outside of our sphere. Back to your sphere, Dean, though, and it's time for my favourite time of the week. This week's melon of the week is Sergio Ramos. Oh, yeah. So, old Sergio hadn't missed a penalty for about two and a half years. Then he's missed two in the same game for Spain against Switzerland. The first one, I'm going to let him off because it was a pretty normal penalty. It just wasn't great and the keeper saved it. The second one, can't get let him get away with because it was as bad as Adamola Lookman's. Maybe worse, actually. So 10 minutes from time, Spain 1-0 down. Ramos does one of his slow run-ups and it seems like he kind of changes his mind halfway through or something happens, I don't know. But he tries a Panenka and he doesn't get it off the floor. It's, it's like a dink that doesn't happen almost. It's similar to Lookman's in that it's slightly off-centre, um, but it's also like an attempt you would see from a child who can't quite get the ball to lift off the floor when they really want it to. And this is one of the best penalty takers in the world. Um, he got a bit lucky because Gerard Moreno rescued them and scored a late equaliser. Um, it was a landmark night, actually, for Ramos because he became Europe's most capped international men's player of all time. It was also a landmark for him because he will be remembered as an absolute melon. Melon of the week. 25 in a row and then two in the same game. It's bad. It's not good. It's not good. Um, and with that, 
Have you, Sam, for your speciality? Oh, no. Stop devaluing us. What a um, podcast. Honestly, right. Well, uh, honestly, I've been, I've got the feeling over the last couple of weeks, particularly, I uh, can't help escape the feeling that sometimes I'm just not a very good Englishman. Um, and I, I don't like classic English things. Because we are famous for certain things, aren't we, as a country? Everybody looks to the Brits and the English and they go, oh, you like this, you like that. We've got our stereotypes. Everybody does. And I just don't feel like I like any of our stereotypical quintessential English things. So I've actually ranked the top three things that are associated with English people that I just flat out dislike. And you're not going to be happy about any of these guys. But in another three, Cornish pasties. Oh, uh, bad take, like, bad take. I don't yeah, like Cornish pasties. This is, this is a bit more regional than the other two, but it was made very clear by my, my Cornish fiancé that if this does not go into the ranking, I will not be alive for the next podcast. So here we are. Cornish pasties, if those that don't know them, basically it's like a D-shaped pasty and it has like almost like a handle built into the pastry. So like it's a pocket, it's a pocket of stuff and the stuff in there that I don't like, which is the main problem. I think Swede is in there. The Swede is, Swede is gross and it ruins it. It's awful. I've tried a few different variants as well. I've traveled to Cornwall to have a Cornish You don't have pasty, to have Swede in a like Cornish it. pasty. Mate, but that's in like the, the classic, the classic mix, the standard one, but the actual absolute tradition is that and I don't like it at all. But like, it's got a kind of like weird, almost like handle built into the pastry because back in like 500 years ago, I don't know, they used to give it, used to eat, the, the miners used to eat them and they used to form handles for them so they wouldn't get their grubby hands on their food. So traditionally you wouldn't have eaten that bit, but obviously we don't, we no longer reside and eat lunch down the mines or we don't anyway. Um, so you will just eat that bit as well. And that's just too much pastry for me as well. So overall dislike. Bad take, bad take. Cornish pasties are delicious. I prefer sausage rolls. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Or steak bakes, anything from Greg's. Yeah. Um, (laughs) A proper Cornish pasty. Absolutely unreal. Can't beat it. I'm uh, I'm sad. I'm sad about this, Sam. No, fair enough. I'm sure Rachel is too. Yeah, well, yeah. Imagine her face when we went to Cornwall and she she gave me a Cornish pasty and I could only eat about three bites before putting it in the bin. You imagine? They do make good fudge in Cornwall though as well, so that makes up for it. They do, and I like that. I appreciate that. Uh, In at two is fish and chips because I don't like fish, so I can't partake in this classic English food, this classic English dinner. Uh, I like chips, obviously, but fish and chips is just not something I can eat. I don't like any fish. You don't like oh. any fish. I can't. I like prawns and like octopus, like crustaceans and squids and stuff. But it's a different. It's a fundamentally different thing, isn't it? There is not one fish that I like. I well, don't I like don't even like fish fingers. Oh God, no. Oh, oh wow. No, I, this yeah. is sorry. This is. I, I actually don't mind this take, but not liking fish is is a bad look. <laughs> like I'm not wild on fish and chips as like what? a meal. It wouldn't be like a something I would. I would pick if I was to have any takeaway, it would be very low down the list of things I would be looking for. So yeah. I can appreciate like the, the, the sentiment chips and curry sauce though. Then, then you're cooking, right? Cool. But, Absolutely. But, but chips, you know, chips and gravy not, go further North. But whatever, just not but... liking fish is a bad take. Like that's, that's a weird take in itself. It's not a take. It's more of a taste bud thing. Um, but like, yeah, that's, I like, that's like a four year old. I well, fish like three times a week. I uh, more <laughs> like, yeah. smoked salmon. Tuna, no. salmon, yeah, hate, the, the, hate the ones. Cod, hate the lads. I play cod. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> go on then. What's number one? Uh, it's a cup of tea. I knew I, it would be. Oh, I, I don't. Like, you I absolute don't like melt. 
I don't like tea at all. Oh. It's gross. I don't oh. know how you guys can drink it. I drink. It other, I, I sit here and drink black coffee all day. No sugar, no milk. So I appreciate I might have a slightly different set of taste buds to some people. Yeah, it's the lack yeah. of fish and too much coffee, I think. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe it's a deficiency. But um, I mean, hey, I'm now... I'm pun now, intended or non-intended? Yeah, so I mean, at the moment, I'm making uh, making like two or three cups of tea a day for my fiance. And um, I look at every single one and I just think, gross. It's like puddle You're water. Weird. It's, You're like, weird. It's, like, yeah. it's like I don't know. It just it's just not right. I, I, honestly, I've got it's got to the point in my brain now where like you know you get that bit of juice at the bottom of a bin. It smells like bin juice. You're 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 terrible. You're a terrible human being. Um, when I there's we only like drink Barry's tea because it's like a like a tradition in the family. But I looked in the cupboard the other day about how much, and obviously we've just been buying it without putting. It's just been in the shop for like for quite a while, and so. We looked in the cupboard and there is like 14 boxes of Barry's tea in the cupboard. And I was like, I think we could probably take that off the order for a little while. <laughs> like there's, there's like, I, I reckon a thousand tea bags in the cupboard. And, oh. but I will say that when I was doing my exams back at school, I brought the kettle up to my room because I reckon I was drinking about 25, 26 cups of tea a day. Um, oh. Just like I would make two at a time because I knew by the time I finished the first one, the second one would be at the right temperature. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and so it was like one of those things that just like <laughs> the kettle was just constantly on. I just had it here next to me, and I'd just be like flicking it on and off. So, so yeah, I think this is yeah. Maybe you're you've you've had some really bad takes down the years, but this is up there with your worst. Yeah, mate. I, it's, Love a cup I, of I cannot control what I, I like and dislike, and I just I just dislike it. So I'm just so far from this classic Englishman that people picture in their we heads. We just barely have anything in common at this stage, do we? <laughs> what, you, you and I specifically? Maybe, yeah. Nah, not a lot, mate. <laughs> it's just me. I'm just here anchoring this thing. I yeah, think. basically, yeah. Without Jack, me, the... Uh, Jackson, Jackson Golo Kante right ago. now. Yeah, Jackson exactly. Golo Kante. The glue, they call me. That's my, uh, my new name. And on that bombshell, I think we're going to call this one a day. Uh, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Mr. Sam Tsai. Yeah, cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much to Ali Maxwell for joining us earlier. Do make sure you go out and check out Not The Top 20. It's a, a brilliant podcast. And for those of you interested in the championship and below, there is no finer pod in the land. Um, I've been Jack Collins. This has been Branks FC. And thank you so much for listening as ever. We'll see you next week, gang. Bye-bye. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 